Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. camping friends. If you listened to my super short episode last week, um, I was away camping with my family and it was so lovely. And now I'm back. I'm refreshed. Everything's put away, laundry done, and I'm ready to record this awesome podcast with Karen Anderson. So um, Karen, I will let you introduce yourself and then I have a treat for you guys. Um, Those of you who've been listening to the podcast all along, know that I used to start the show reading something that I wrote. And I don't know if I'll go back to that. It was a really nice way to get a conversation started. But then, I don't know, like it just evolved. And I was having these long, awesome conversations with guests. And I evolved away from that. I don't know if I'll come back to it. But when I connected with Karen a few weeks ago, I was like, can you read this piece you wrote (laughs) as a start to our episode? And I think it's going to kick off a great, well, I know it will kick off a great conversation. So I asked her if she would read something she wrote to get us started. Um, So she's going to do that. And, but go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us the work you do in the world. Um, your work around trauma is so relevant to many, many, many people listening. Either, well, as you know, we all have trauma, one form or another, in all different ways in our lives. Um, and with abortion, it can be big T for some people and little t for others. <laughs> so I'll let you go ahead and then we'll, we'll just, you know, it'll all work out. It'll be an awesome conversation, I'm sure. Well, thank you so much for, for inviting me here. Um, so yes, my name is Karen C.L. Anderson, and my work in the world is helping women who struggle in the relationship they have with their mothers mm. uh, and using that relationship as a catalyst for their own growth and self-expression and creativity. Mm. And a lot of women struggle in that relationship, and oftentimes that sort of translates down into the relationship they have with their own children. Um, So it's really a um, rich and uh, amazing topic. A lot of people shy away from it. And it's funny because I often use the analogy, I've used this analogy many times where women uh, see the relationship they have with their mothers or they, they see their mothers as the kryptonite to their superwoman. Right? Oh my goodness. And, um, in, in, and recently in the, in the past, uh, few months, um, I, I did a, I did a community project, um, and I don't want to get too, uh, distracted by that, but I called it the mother load and it was a conversation mm. about, um, emotions, power, and creativity. And as I started just thinking about like kryptonite and the mother load, the mother load is an expression, which uh, it, it comes from mining, right? And it's the, the mother load is the source of something precious, some precious mineral mm. or whereas kryptonite is right, this poison mineral. Mm. So um, 
yeah, the, I, I like to, to, you know, because so many women, as I said, struggle in this relationship and are, you know, suffer because of it. Um, I want to help women see that, that this relationship can be a mother load for them. It oh my can, God, that's so good. Source, right? It can be a source of something that doesn't have to create suffering for the rest of your life. Ugh. With that said, oh I am God. also, I am also the author of several books and what I'm about to read um, is an answer to a question that a woman wrote to me as she was reading my book. And the book okay. that she was reading is called Difficult Mothers, Adult Daughters, A Guide for Separation, Liberation, and Inspiration. So what I'm going to read is her question and then my answer. Awesome. Thank you. So she wrote, I'm reading your book. On page 130, you talk about the child you were carrying at age 21 and how you chose not to carry it. Can you explain? As a reader of your words, I want to understand what you mean. Did you think you couldn't love a child of your own? Do you still feel the same way now? Did you change your mind later and have children? I have three children and they have taught me how to love. Without them, I wouldn't have had the deep desire to be re rehabilitated or to be able to fully break the cycle. Mm -hmm. I feel sorry for anyone who feels they can't love due to their past. I found those words to be very crippling if others listened. I'm, I'm thinking she's talking about the words that I shared about having Totally, a, yeah. Um, that's a big platform to steer people on, a slippery slope. Besides this part of your book, I have enjoyed your words. So I wrote and I, I wrote back to her and then I decided to publish this as a blog post and I said, your questions are at the heart of a collection of essays I've been writing. Together they form a book I hope to publish entitled A Letter to the Daughter I Chose Not to Have. So the story goes that in the spring of 1984, at the age of 21, I got pregnant. I was a senior in college about to graduate and it was the first time I'd had sex. I woke up the next morning knowing I was pregnant. Within the month, I'd had an abortion. I'm grateful I had that option, and I'm equally grateful that there were plenty of methods available to me to prevent pregnancy in the future. I support a woman's right to choose. Mm. What I knew then, and what I've known for as long as I can remember, even as a small child, is that I did not want to be a mother. It was never about not being able to love. It wasn't about being damaged. There was and is nothing wrong with me physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. I eventually met and fell in love with a man who had three children from a previous marriage and who had his tubes tied as his then 10-year-old daughter informed me, wanting to make sure I knew. We <laughs> laugh about that to this day. And I haven't changed my mind. I did not have children. I didn't not have children in order to break a cycle. I broke a cycle by honoring my desire not to have them. I broke a cycle by choosing a life I wanted. I broke a cycle by choosing to love my life. Because as I said, it was never about not being able to love. I'm glad that your choice to have children resulted in your ability to break the particular cycle that was being handed to you via your maternal lineage. Children are amazing teachers. 
having three stepchildren who now among them have four children, I can attest to their wisdom and am grateful for all the ways in which they have taught me about love. All of the people who have come into and go out of our lives are teachers who can show us what love is or isn't. And I can't measure the amount of love you feel having chosen to have children and compare it to the amount of love I feel having made a different choice. What I know is that feeling love is a choice that you and I can make in any given moment. Love is always available to you and me, for you and me, and through you and me. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's just so beautiful and I just, again, I can't thank you enough for sharing this decision to honor and choose love by not having children. Um, it's, it's something we don't talk about a lot. And the, the narrative, I think, you know, there's, I have never regretted that choice. I have never felt, I mean, trust me, there's plenty of things in my life where I have felt guilt and shame and regret. And that, that is one of the choices that has never, has never resulted in that. And I think one of the narratives that I want to be heard is the narrative that a woman can be, that is she's pro-abortion, right? Like, and I, cause I think for a while in my life, I was sort of like, oh yes, it was a hard choice because I thought that's what I should say. Yeah. It wasn't a hard choice. And I was so glad to make that choice. Mm. And the narrative that, uh, you know, I, like, <laughs> I can even say like, I, may, I, I, I didn't, I was just gonna say, I didn't make the decision lightly, but I did make the decision lightly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's the narrative I think it, that's okay to have. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh my goodness. I read something today and I, I actually wrote it down because I thought maybe it would turn into a social media post, but I think I wrote it down for this. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading where the crawdads sing. Oh yes. Have you read that? Okay. Yeah. Now I have to find it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm reading that book and I get to this section where she's describing how um, fireflies have this pattern. Each firefly has a different pattern that they flash in. And so their particular pattern, the female's pattern of flashing attracts a male and then they mate. And then the female does this crazy thing, cool thing, where it intentionally changes its pattern, attracts a different male, <laughs> who's looking for that pattern and then she eats it <laughs> it's this like so here's what she wrote um and yeah if anyone has the book it's on page four, uh 142 but kaya is the name of this woman in the swamp and she says kaya knew judgment had no place here evil was not in play just life pulsing on, even at the expense of some of the players. Biology sees no right, sees, ah, sorry, hold on a sec. Biology sees right and wrong as the same color in different light. 
Oh, whoa. I, I mean, I read the book, but I don't remember that particular passage. And it was this idea that she, you know, part of her, like, expression of being alive was to attract and mate and attract and eat. Like, this sounds like a, this sounds like a really bizarre conversation to be have to be having in regards to abortion but it was this idea that there's no right or wrong it's the same color in different lights yes like oh my goodness so beautiful it's not wrong of her to attract a mate it's not wrong of her to eat a different male (laughs) like it's just biology it's like it just depends on how we look at it She's using that same light she shares in the world for different purposes. Um, And I think, of course, one of the biggest challenges around the abortion discussion is, is it right or wrong? Is it good or bad? And it's just a non, it it doesn't lead us anywhere. (laughs) It's like, it's both. It's all the things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, it's funny, you know, speaking of social media, just, you know, earlier this morning, I posted about, um, and I've been thinking about this a lot in, in sort of, it fits with this discussion. One is making unpopular decisions and owning them. And then also the seemingly need that we have to always explain something and explain why and recognizing that it's when we think that something is wrong or bad that we then need to explain or justify it. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, like, I think that my experience being a woman who had an abortion, I have not faced, and, and also being a woman who's chosen not to have children. Um, I know some women who, in both of those scenarios, who have gotten lots of pushback and criticism and, you know, and I'm, I, I guess I'm relatively lucky in that that just has not been my experience. Mm. And sometimes what I wonder is, is it because I was so sure, so mm-hmm. grounded, there was no question in my mind, there was no guilt, there was no shame. So like, you can't, you can't, yeah. It's like almost like energetic that that stuff doesn't come into me. Yeah, right. You can't penetrate such a like fluid, flexible, concrete, like I don't even have the words, but like I totally know what you mean. And that's amazing. Another thing that popped into my mind as you were saying that is there's so much judgment for mothers, Mm -hmm. which you know in your work. And so I wonder how many women who've chosen abortion, who, who knew they didn't want to be mothers, have a different experience of their story and their processing. Because so many of us who are mothers get the judgment of, you're a mother, how could you do that? Or you want to be a mother, how could you do that? Or there's like this automatic like invitation to judge mothers. And well, so, yeah, an automatic invitation to always be judging women and men too. Like, hundred percent, hundred percent. 
But I wonder if that confidence, like you're saying, that confidence and conviction to know what you want for your life um, just doesn't open the same gates that it opens for some people. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's probably true. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it at the time. It's not like back then I was like, I better be confident in this decision. Like it was yeah. just, you know. Yeah. I was on a coaching call with a client recently who's not an abortion client. It was a, um, just a regular life coaching client. And she is a woman in her fifties who does not have children. And I went at one point to describe her. And then you might've seen this on my social media, but I was like, there should be a beautiful, strong, like amazing word for women who choose not to have children. Like, whatever the sentence was that I was going to say to her, like it needed a word and the, and I didn't have the word, the word didn't exist. But I was like, I know a few women who have chosen not to have children. And I think it is one of the most like beautiful things you can do is to know that for yourself. So, you know, I, uh, you know, again, like I come to the work that I do, um, because I've struggled in my relationship with my mom and she struggled yeah. in her relationship with her mom. And I have done, uh, you know, I, I wrote a very long essay and I, that project that I mentioned earlier, the mother load community project that I did, um, I invited 21 other women to answer a question and they were, you know, some of them did video, some of them wrote whatever. And the one that I did, I, as I said, I wrote this essay, but I decided to do the vi- a video of it. And it goes into this, I think this whole, my whole decision sort of in a much deeper way and looking, and I can't, when I say what I'm about to say, I know that I can't know 100% how my mother and grandmother felt, but it's my impression. Maybe not that they never wanted to have children, but that they certainly didn't want to have children under the situation or in the circumstances in mm-hmm. which they did. Yeah. And I'm getting chills. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, is it, you know, that when this woman wrote me this letter, I did think about, you know, is there an element of, you know, how much is it our choice really? And how much of it is a reaction? that we're not quite aware of. And even though I've known my whole life that I never wanted to have children and have never had regrets and haven't, you know, been like, oh, shoot, I should have done that. You know, like there's just none of that. Um, You know, it's, is it, is it the result of the choices that my mother and grandmother made and what I learned unconsciously from them and their experience. I don't know. And like, if it had been different for them, would it be, have been different for me? I don't know. Or is that the cycle you broke? Is that the, the, you know, know part of it is that you broke that cycle of having to carry a pregnancy, right? Like, and what's fascinating is that so when I, when I got pregnant, I'll never forget, as I said, I was a senior in college my mother was coming for a visit anyway, I guess. And I'll never forget, she came in and I was crying and I was like, I think I'm pregnant. And I also had broken up with the guy. 
And there was no question in her mind that I was going to have an abortion. Like, and she was very supportive, which again, I think a lot of women who struggle in their relationship with their moms, it's like, it would have been the opposite. Hmm. But what's fascinating is that my relationship with her uh, from that moment on, and not immediately, but it was the older I got, the happier I got, the more independent I became, the more I was living the life that I really wanted to live without a child, right? Doing my own thing, pursuing career, having fun, not getting married right away, like all those things. And I think she became jealous and angry. Yeah. And so over, it was, it was, it was, it was that that sort of was the problem in our relationship more than something from childhood. Although there was (laughs) talking about the trauma part, that's where the trauma was. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you harnessed your power in a way that she wasn't able to. Exactly. Yeah. She was was so supportive of me having the abortion. There was no judgment there, which was nice, right? It was great to have that. And in fact, I had a friend um, like a year or two later who got pregnant and came to me and my mom because her mom was like, there was no way she'd get the the kind of support. And she remembered, she's like, will you guys help me? And I said, you know. Amazing. I love too that what you just described is like, um, you, you probably know, do you know Dr. Shafali's work? Yes. So like, I love what you just described as like the relationship you were to have with your mother, which included challenges and blessings and trauma and joy, like all the things, you know, you just don't know where those lessons are going to be learned, right? You had all that support in the abortion, but still later came the challenge, which, you know, I know you said you're assuming is related, but very likely it makes perfect sense (laughs) is related. And so the things that you're, you were meant to work through together as a mother and daughter would come whether you had had kept the pregnancy or not kept the pregnancy, like those are just challenges you needed to work through together. You know, maybe you would have had that baby, had a loving, beautiful, strong, different relationship. And she would have had a different kind of jealousy and, and yeah. Right. Yeah. So fascinating. And it's, it's interesting too, because my mother, I am my mother's only biological child. My mother and stepfather, when I was nine, my mother and stepfather adopted a boy who was nine months younger than I was. It wasn't Mm. an infant. So, and there was, there were a lot of issues there. And I mean, suffice it to say that over the years, my mother has pretty much alienated everyone in her family. So it's, um, that it is what that, that is what it is. But, um, the other thing is, is that my mother, she's never been the type to be like, you didn't give me grandchildren. Like that, that's never been an issue either. And what's fascinating about that is that um, I don't think my, my grandmother much liked being a grandmother mm. and, you know, talking about the guilt and the shame and the, you know, some of the stuff that hasn't worked out great is as a stepmother, 
and as I mentioned, my two of my stepkids have children. Yeah. And I went into that relationship being a grandmother without knowing who and how I wanted to be. There was a lot of people pleasing going on and, and uh, misunderstandings and reckoning that I had to do as a woman who, you know, has grandchildren, even though I'm not a mother, you know, and, uh, and that, that has been, that has been hard. Yeah. Yeah. But it made me also sort of realize again that like, my mother wouldn't have been a very good grandmother. (laughs) And, And, or, you know, and I shouldn't even put it that way, because that's, that says something, right? It's, and I, you know, my, if we can, if we can let women be who and how they are, without these like expectations that, oh, a grandmother is supposed to look a certain way and act a certain way and be a certain way. And that's what I was doing. I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be this way. And I was like forcing myself to be something that I'm not. And it just didn't work. (laughs) Didn't work very well. Yeah. And so now that you've recognized that, have you been able to shift it? Are you, you as grandma now? Like, yeah. Um, well, and it's interesting because from the get go that my name was Boo Boo. <laughs> um, and my stepdaughter had her kids, uh, they live in Washington state. So, and they've, they've not lived in our area since uh, their oldest who is nine and since he was three. Yeah. So it, again, the, and when they were nearby, it was different, but um Yes, I have shifted it, and it's the distance has made it different just because there's distance. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you've had the opportunity to experience these things along the way, even though you didn't choose to have children. Like, there was still healing of the, like, maternal roles right (laughs) even though you chose not to have biological children like I don't know if I'm explaining it well but it's fascinating in my mind (laughs) it has been it's been some of the hardest work I've ever done um you know like at one point I had someone a coach suggest to me that what I need to do is really own my maternal energy and I did for a while, like I really, and I think that actually kind of, I was, can I swear? Oh yeah. I don't know. I just, I just label the show explicit because it's about abortion, which is maybe not an appropriate thing to do, but I'm like, you know what, just keep it safe and go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, it really fucked me up. Yeah. Because I, I wasn't sure what maternal energy was and I was like, oh gosh, what is this supposed to look like? And I mean, it wasn't, I'm not, I don't regret that, but you know, it's like, I've really stumbled Yeah. and it, it really has been around not so much my relationship with my stepkids, but as I said, as a grandmother. Yeah. And so, um, and that again, like it does, this isn't a, oh, well, I should have had children and then this wouldn't be an issue. That's not what I'm saying. No, 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 no. (laughs) One of the things I wrote down when you were speaking earlier was, um, teachers who show us what love is and what love isn't and so you continue to have these teachers in your life 
who show you what love is and what it looks like and how it plays a role in your life and your, you know, and your experience as a woman. Um, and yeah, the teachers come no matter what you choose, the teachers come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's not lost on me. I've heard so many women talk about how there's things that they, you know, that their kid, it's like they couldn't have learned it any other way. Yeah. Well, I think maybe they could, I don't know. But interestingly, there's something that just popped into my head is that in December of last year, my husband and I adopted a puppy. Yeah. And I am a cat person, <laughs> not had a dog as an adult. And uh, <laughs> again, like, I feel like I have to preface this by saying, like, I get that it's not a person. I get that it's not a baby. Totally. And I had a total, like, I had a moment, it was in January where all of this shit came up and I was like realizing like, okay, this is probably what mothers learn in the most like hardest way. And what happened was um, the pup, I mean, he, she was four months old when we got her. So by the time this happened, she was like, I don't know, five months old. And she was having some intestinal issues. She was crate trained. She loves her crate. She sleeps in her crate, but she was having, sometimes she would have diarrhea in her crate you know yeah, and, yeah. and my husband I joke like I say my husband is way more maternal than I am <laughs> and so you know he he kind of was like he just rolls with that kind of stuff and I'm like I don't like poop you know puke and pee and poop and no, I don't want to do any of that but um he had some minor surgery in January and that day, you know, it was outpatient surgery or whatever. And it was, as I said, minor, but the, you know, the surgeon had warned, you know, there's, there could be, you know, not side effects. What's the word? Um, things that could happen if you overdo it or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so like, just, you know, take it easy. <laughs> so that night, little scout, the dog, <laughs> in our crate, not once, not twice, but three times. And my husband was like starting to get up to help and I lost it. And I was, I was like so angry because again, like in the moment I couldn't quite figure out what was going on. I just was like, but what it was, was like, I don't want to have to take care of both of you. Right, like it was sort of like it, it. What what it what hit me was I don't want to have to take care of yeah. anything or anyone. <laughs> or I mean, again, like I made a commitment yeah. to my husband and sickness and health, whatever. And like that's different. But like in that moment, I was faced with that, and and then had shame like the next day, like what kind of person doesn't want to take care of something or someone. Mm -hmm. And, and I was very tired, obviously the next day, cause I hadn't really gotten any sleep and I had taken scout out for a walk. And at one point she, you know, I was like trying to get her to come back in and she wouldn't come, you know, I had her on a leash. And I, this, this rage 
again came through me and I was like I didn't do this but like I could picture myself yanking screaming and I just picked her up and I brought her in and I went into my closet and I cried (laughs) and I know that mothers have those moments you're right (laughs) what I also love about this well, again, teachers show us what love is and what love isn't. Right back again. But also, there's something that happens in relationship. And one of the ways we, one of the challenges we overcome to become more connected, to become more like, in alignment with each other and our future together is regarding caretaking. Recognizing mm. a puppy is different than children. There's lots of there's lots of nuances here, but again, that challenge of your relationship and this piece of it that's just like part of being human, right? Like yeah. when two humans come together in relationship there's like a puzzle piece of caretaking yeah. is part of the natural growth of a relationship. And so for you, it's happening with a puppy and not, you know, with children. But like, again, just like back to what you said, teachers show us what love is and what love isn't. And we don't get to decide who the teachers are. And the, <laughs> the most amazing part of that for me was, um, because shame has been something I have grappled with my practically my whole life. Mm. And um, again, like I'm not, I think humans, if you're human, you're going to experience shame. Right. And like, so I feel like it was in that moment. It well, not in that moment, but after that moment and doing some coaching. (laughs) Um, And again, like, you know, in life coach school speak, Um, what I recognized was I so desperately wanted to change the thoughts. I mean, I, the thoughts that I was having was who, who am I? I'm this horrible monster. Right. You know, doesn't want people don't feel this way. (laughs) Yeah. Good people don't want to yank their puppies by the neck, you know, like good people want to take care of it, you know? And what I recognized was, until I could just allow myself to have those thoughts and not beat myself up and, and just be like, yeah, Yeah, people like this. Yep. People have like really dark, horrible thoughts. Yeah. And it doesn't mean anything except you're having a thought. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, you know, even a 58 year old woman, 57 year old woman, you know, can learn a lesson like this without having had a child. Yeah, I love that. People have thoughts like this. That is such a good thought. <laughs> People have thoughts like this. Just yeah. releases so much self-judgment. Yeah. People have thoughts like this. So you said you, although abortion was not one of the places, you have, a, you know, the experience of shame in other places in your life. A lot of the listeners here are experiencing some kind of shame or 
are listening because they're helping other people move through those feelings of shame. So that's obviously a great tool. <laughs> what other tools do you have to, to manage shame in your life? Manage, uh, again, not the right word, but. Well, change your relationship to. Mm-hmm. My favorite, so um, I know that Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, is very popular right now. Yeah. And there was a story in that book that prompted me to create a tool. I won't go into the big, long story. Um, suffice it to say, it's the story about them watching a TV show in which the daughter in the TV show is about to tell her parents that she's gay. Yeah. And there's this big, whole, long thing that Glennon writes in there what I, this tool that I developed after having read that is very, very simple. And it's when you feel shame, when you're telling yourself, like for me, like what kind of person wants to yank their puppy by the neck is I love myself, not in spite of, Mm -hmm. not even though, but because I wanted to yank my puppy by the neck. Mm. Wow. I love myself because I had an abortion. I love myself because. Okay. So some people are listening and their like brains are exploding right now. Mine's <laughs> exploding a little bit. You might be able to see it in my face. <laughs> like how often, I mean, it's, we want to be conditional with ourselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So why do you love yourself because you had an abortion? Because you had a hurtful thought about your puppy or your child or your partner. How does that even make sense in the brain? I don't know. I, you know, it might not work for some people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we talk about love and compassion, we talk about that as a concept. Yep. And instead of a sensation in our bodies. Yeah. And so when I say, I'm not saying sit there and say to yourself, I love myself because. Right, right, right. I'm saying, let yourself feel yeah. however compassion feels for you. Yeah. And I'm getting like teary, just like, yeah. thinking about it, right. Yeah. It's for me, it's like that warm expansiveness in my chest. And sometimes I can actually feel it on like the surface of my skin. Yeah. And that's what, so when I think about myself, wanting to yank my puppy again like the abortion is so like long ago and and there's no charge around that for me yeah yeah but um when I think of things that I'm am have do have had have had shame about yeah that to me is like the ultimate in mothering right remothering it really is I mean it's I love myself because I'm human right yeah and I'm and and then but then feeling the love feeling that yeah whatever it is, however it is that love and compassion feels and, and bathe yourself in that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, another, I mean, sort of, this is more nervous system related, but, um, shame, the pain of shame can trigger, can, can make us, can make our nervous systems react. It, the pain can be that intense that it, that it, it will trigger and it's Brene Brown has done some amazing work around this. And so part, part of this is, is things I've kind of learned from her, but you know, uh, trauma response, right? Fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, fawning Mm -hmm. being people pleasing. 
Yeah. And when we feel shame, that's on the parasympathetic side. And so in the parasympathetic response uh, is a freeze kind of response, right? Mm -hmm. Fight and flight is a sympathetic response. That's where we're marshalling our energy, we're gathering our strength, we're, it's the foot on the gas, right? It's the inhale, it's that I'm gonna go. Whereas the parasympathetic is that uh, collapse and uh, what do you call it? Collapsing, freezing, overwhelmed, uh, fainting, literally like fainting, but it's, it's yeah. where it's in, in, you know, when it's, when we're feeling like a shut down, shut down. Yeah. 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 Uh, when we perceive threat, like when we yeah. don't perceive threat, the parasympathetic is where we're like totally relaxed and feeling great resting and digesting. But, um, but so with a parasympathetic response, uh, you can, um, you can take yourself out of it a variety of ways. Um, I mean, just literally, I know people can't see, but like opening yourself up, spreading your arms out, like throwing your head back kind of thing can help. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like reversing that crumple of shame of wanting totally. to um, And then there's another exercise, which actually was in Simone and I talked about it. It's that verbalizing or, or like a chant of voo in your gut. Oh, which, yes. Right. And I like, actually wanted to find that recording and link to it on this podcast because you did a recording, didn't you? Yes. yes. All right. I'm totally, well, A, I'm going to link to Simone's episode with you because it was so good and um and then people can listen to that but give a brief explanation well all right so i don't i, I don't know how well of an explanation i can give other than that <clears throat> we have this thing in our bodies called the vagus nerve and yeah. when and when we go into a parasympathetic threat response um one way to get us out of that and to get back into the sympathetic is to chant vu yeah yeah um as low into your like gut as you can and for fun you can like add in like growling face and claws yeah. in your hand if you want oh my god i'm totally linking to that um and again it's just it, it it's uh i have noticed over time that when I do that, especially like when I'm doing it with my, I do it a lot with my clients and I'm yeah. noticing like it helps me. Totally. <laughs> and if I'm I, not, I, I have clients and I haven't done it in a while, I'm like, oh, I'm noticing like. Yeah. I, when I was in birth doula work, there was a similar deep low chanting that I would do with women in labor. And I yeah. wonder if it's, it, I wouldn't have said it was boo, but it's super similar. Yeah. I mean, and so like, it makes total sense to you, to me, that it clicks you into this different place. Yeah. Um, and also it was as healing for me as a doula as it was for them as a laboring client. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I learned That's awesome. recently, um, have you ever heard of EMDR? Yeah. It's yeah. Um, I learned that I did a, a, a four day training called coaching the unconscious mind with a woman named Melissa tears and she taught this thing and it's basically like EMDR, but very simple. You take anything and I have a ball here, but 
is throwing it back and forth like this, oh. where you keep your hand, one hand always in the midline. Center. Okay. And, you know, in so doing this, it's bilateral stimulation. Yeah. And it, it does something to your brain. <laughs> Love it. So good. Yeah, that's really what all of our work is as coaches. It's like, how do you hack your brain? Like, how do you get new perspective, new shifts, new firing of like nervous system and all of it, right? And so that's a good one. I love that. Um, so good. Um, ah, okay, we're running out of time. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is these are the but, we can talk about forever. Two quick things. One thing that I love that you said in that Simone podcast was uh, normalizing trauma helps everyone's nervous system. Yeah. And I say that a lot in this work that I'm doing when I, you know, when I say speaking light into abortion, I just mean like any of us who have these conversations, who talk about this work, who share our feelings, who process our feelings, who move through the trauma or, or with the trauma. Um, Anytime we do that as an individual, we sort of heal the collective, right? Like we are helping everyone's nervous system by doing this work. So I love that you said that. It's so beautiful. Yeah. How we heal individually is how we heal collectively. Oh, yes. So good. One last thing I feel like I have to talk about before we go in the next couple of minutes here is you said at the very beginning, and this is so important, and I'm Again, we're just going to scratch the surface of it. But you said love is always available. And it was in relation to this idea that, you know, your choice to abort was never about not being able to love. And I think some people believe that the love for a child is different and more special or somehow like, this magical thing that you can't access in other ways. And I think it's really important to debunk that. Like <laughs> love is always available. And one way we can access that deep love is, let me say that a little bit differently. One easy way we can access that deep love is through children. It like, for a lot of people that that access point is so much simpler. Like it's just easy to access it because children have that effect, not for everyone as a mother, but for many of us, it's like, oh, there it is. I know what's possible, but you can access, anyone can access that anytime. It just, yeah, it's different circumstances, different thoughts, different beliefs, different avenues of opening the door to love, but it's available all the time no matter how many children you have, be it zero or 10, it doesn't matter. Um, so I just love that you said love is always available. Yeah, it is. And I get that, I get that, um, you know, I think there's that <clears throat> a biological thing that happens with a child, right? Yeah. Like, it, it, I think it goes beyond like thinking and feeling uh, like intentionally. It's like, you know, I mean, and I've heard it said, right, that like the reason babies are cute is totally we love them. <laughs> totally. Well, and sure, there's hormonal shifts. There's so much happening in our yeah. body that allow yeah. us to love in such a deep, deep way. But it doesn't mean that that's not accessible in other ways. 
and it's just not as easily accessible because in the process of carrying and birthing and loving a child like nurturing a child there's many many more opportunities to feel all those alignments come into play yeah but it's just different it's not yeah. a better love it's not a more powerful love it's just another way to access love yes i love the way you put that yeah thank you thank you so much for joining me um i like i took so many notes there's going to be lots of links in this episode um, where can people find you or more about what you do? Um, my Basically, my website is a great place to start. And yeah, yeah. KCLanderson.com. Perfect. Awesome. We'll get you all linked up. And thank you for talking about it all with me. Thank you for having me. I'm <laughs> so good. Such a good topic. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks for listening, and as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.